I wonder this morning, what makes an individual, what makes an individual worthy of a spot on the list of the most influential people in all of history? What is it qualified? What is it that qualifies someone to do that? And certainly some of the greatest minds of all times need to be, should be ranked highly. I know I think we would all agree with that. Each one of these incredible individuals, whether they've contributed, regardless of the area in which they've contributed, they all find themselves on a place uh, in history. And let me give you the top five most influential people in all of history. Number one, I'm pleased to report, number one is Jesus. Number one, and this isn't my ranking, this is by Ranker.com. So they've taken tens of thousands of individuals, and this was number one. Jesus was number one. Einstein was number two. Isaac Newton was number three. Leonardo da Vinci was number four. And Aristotle was number five. Now, there are some notables on the list that I think are interesting. Uh, number, uh, number 18 is Moses, and we don't have their pictures, so, you know, just do your do imagination. Moses, 18. Bill Gates, Number 34, Walt Disney, number 44, Mother Teresa, number 62, Muhammad Ali, 111, Michael Jackson, 144, Steven Spielberg, 146, Elon Musk, 182, and Tom Hanks all the way down at 232. Now, these are influential people, but there's one person, there's one person that's not on this list, and we're going to talk about him today. His name is Saul. His name is Saul. And you say, wait a minute, Saul, most... One of some of the most influential people in all of history? Now, let me just read you a little. Let me just read you a little bit about Saul. What kind of man was Saul? Who was this who made himself David's enemy? Anointed of God, deliverer of Israel, and yet remembered mostly for his madness. Forget the bad press, the stinging reviews, his reputation, and look at the facts. Saul was one of the greatest figures in human history. He was a farm boy, a real country kid. He was tall, good-looking, and well-liked. He was baptized in the Spirit of God. He also came from a good family. Do you remember the background? Abraham had founded a nation. Moses had set the nation free from slavery. Joshua gave those people a foothold in the land, of the land promised to them by God. The judges kept the whole thing from disintegrating into chaos. That's when Saul came along. It was Saul... Listen to this. It was Saul who took these people and welded them into a united kingdom. Few men have ever done that. He created an army out of thin air. He won battles in the power of God, defeated the enemy again and again as few men ever have. The man was immersed in the spirit. He was, he was a prophet. The spirit came on him in power and authority. He did and said unprecedented things, and it was all by the power of the spirit resting on him. He was, he was an everything men today are seeking to be empowered of the Holy Spirit, able to do the impossible for God, a leader chosen by God with power from God. Saul was given authority that is God's alone. He was God's anointed, and God treated him that way. I don't know about you, but I've never looked at Saul like that. We have different opinions formed of Saul, don't we? Probably from a phrase a little bit like this, he was also eaten with jealousy, capable of murder, and willing to live in spiritual darkness. That's what's formed our opinion of him. Was his failure? What was his lack of character? It's his turning away from the things of God. All of the characters that we're studying in this series, cast of characters, they both have the positive sides 
and not, not all of them have negative. I mean, with Joseph last week, we talked about Joseph, and you really don't see many negative things in the life of Joseph. I get that. Nor would you see them in Daniel. But most of them have two sides, and Saul certainly has two sides. But it's always one side that seems to form our opinion. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying it's a reality. So we're going to talk about him. Paul said it in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, as we have been reading each and every week, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Saul's life will teach us. It will teach us. And I would also suggest that we're going to, in this teaching process, we're going to learn some things that we probably should nurture and we probably should avoid. So we're going to take a look at Saul this morning. Look at a couple of verses with me in 1 Samuel chapter number 9. They're in your program for you, also on the screen. So look at them with me if you would. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Father, I pray, help us, give us encouragement and strengthen us through your word this morning. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, hunting for, hunting for donkeys. Hunting for donkeys. You say, well, now that's a really important point to remember. Well, look at, look at what 1 Samuel 9 verse 3 says. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. You say, wow, that is inspirational, Gary. I am so excited and fired up about Saul looking for donkeys. Here's, here's, the, here's what I want you to take away from this. Saul, this Kish, the family of Saul, in fact, the scripture says very clearly he was a man of standing. So he's, a, he's an important man in the tribe of Benjamin. And now his son is kind of heir to that importance. And his dad sends him off to do a very menial task. And I think in some respects unimportant, but really donkeys were a sign of wealth and they were important to this family. He said, we can't lose them. You've got to go find them. So Saul sets off to find the donkeys. Now, we look at this as being unimportant, but is it? Is it? I want you to carry this phrase with you. Don't be surprised when God shows up in life's ordinary moments. Be prepared. Let me tell you something. Do not discount this. There's a, there's a lot more ordinary in my life and in your life than there is extraordinary. Now, I don't say that critically. I just say that honestly. Most of us are going to get up tomorrow morning, going to have our morning coffee, tea, monster. I don't know what it is that you start your day with. But you're going to go through a routine. You're going to get on the road and commute. You're not going to think much about what's going on. And you're going to go through a routine that you have done hundreds of Thousands of times, that is the ordinary, but it doesn't make it unimportant. It's ordinary. It's normal. Saul was doing something I think you would look at and say, this is unimportant. It's, it's menial. It's just whatever. But in the process of a donkey hunt, in the process of a donkey hunt, God brings Saul to Samuel, the priest, really the last in the line of the judges. 
Samuel, who is leading Israel, and he anoints Saul to be Israel's king. Now, I, I can just say it this way, and this is a phrase that you will understand, or a, 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 you know, it's a phrase you understand. A divine, this was a divine appointment. There's no doubt about it. The day before, God had told Samuel, this is what's going to happen, and this is what happened. This is a divine appointment. You know, and, and I think what happens, divine appointments happen to us more often than we might actually think they do. The challenge is recognizing them and responding to them appropriately. In the middle of ordinary moments, God did something amazing in Saul's life. I think back over some of those ordinary moments of my life. I injure my shoulder. I end up in a physical ther- on a physical therapist table talking about the things of God with my therapist. I, I think of a businessman who I just, quote, unquote, happen to sit by all the way from Miami, Florida, back to San Diego, California, who's asking me, what have you been doing these past t- few days? I said, well, I've been in Haiti on a trip helping missionaries with Convoy of Hope. And I was able to share my faith for five and a half hours from Miami to San Diego. Was that a coincidence? No, that's a divine appointment. I don't know who's sitting by me on the airline, but he had question after question after question. You know, I think about sitting with a solar salesperson and stop talking about solar and start talking about the things of God prompted by them. Is that just coincidence or is that a divine appointment? I would suggest that is a divine appointment. The question is, I don't know what the responses or the outcomes of any of those conversations are. What I know is we must be ready and prepared in the ordinary moments of life because God shows up in the ordinary. Got to be ready. You got to be ready. There's a great story that Jesus, the story of Jesus. It's found in John chapter number four. It's a story of the woman at the well. I'm going to read just some portions of this. Chapter four, verse four. Said so he had to go through Samaria. The speaking of Jesus on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now, this is about as ordinary as it gets, with the exception. Women, this was a normal chore for women to draw water, but they did it early morning or they did it in the evening. They didn't do it at noon. But just so happened that she did it at noon when Jesus is sitting at the well. That's not coincidence. That is a divine appointment. And what is so cool about this woman, she didn't particularly have a great reputation. That's why she's there at noon. She couldn't hang out with the rest of the women because she had had a number of husbands. And the person that she's living with now is and her husband, as Jesus pointed out. But I want you to understand, in this conversation that Jesus has with this woman, look at what happens next in verse number 28 of the same chapter. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, why is that important? Because she recognized a divine appointment in the middle of the ordinary. And I'll tell you something, it changed her life forever. It changed her life forever. The outcome, many Samaritans, in verse number 39, from the village believed in Jesus. What? Because, because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. You see, her testimony brought faith. But look, 
Then Jesus said to the woman, now, now we believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you have told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. I want to tell you something. Don't discount the ordinary moments of your life. God can be using them to shape and change the destiny of people that you have the opportunity and I have the opportunity to connect with. The point that we need to remember is to be ready when they happen. Peter would say it this way. If someone asks you about your hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Are we prepared in the ordinary moments of life? Second, now we've been on a donkey hunt. Now what about what happens next? Saul becomes king. Becomes king. First Samuel chapter 10. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, olive oil, and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. Now, from hunting donkeys to being anointed as king, that's, I would, can I just tell you something? That's quite a day in the life, wouldn't you say? You go out doing menial stuff, and the next thing you know, you're the king of Israel. What just happened? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you've asked that question, what just happened? And you kind of stumble around figure, I, I, what do I do now? What is next for my life? You know what is so fascinating about this story is that Samuel was very clear to Saul. He said, this is what's going to happen, Saul. The power of God's going to come on you. You're going to be a different person you're going to prophesy. You're going to do things. And essentially, this is a little bit of my paraphrase. You're going to do things you never expected you could do, all because of the spirit and the power of God. You see, God empowers us. God empowers us beyond ourselves to do what he calls us to do. I think often we look at life through whatever lens we may have, and we say, I can't do that. I can't be the dad that I need to be. I can't be the mom that I need to be. I, I can't be that employer. I, I can't be that employee. I can't, I can't, I can't. That seems to be our default. And unfortunately, is even the default of followers of Jesus Christ. Because we look at our ordinary lives and we say, I'm not so sure that I can bring anything of any value to anyone at any time. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Because you look at the life of Saul, he was just an ordinary guy. Yes, he came from a good family. Yes, he had some physical advantages. Yes, there were good things in his life. Yet, it was the power of God that transformed him to do what God had called him to do. And the same is true for us. You say, but Gary, I don't have a calling on my life. Yes, you do. If you're a dad, you have a calling. You have a high calling. If you're a mom, you have a high calling. Grandmother, grandfather, employer, employer it doesn't matter. You are, all of us are called of God to be at that particular place at that particular moment for his honor and glory. Understand this, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives should not be minimized. God changes, he changed Saul, he will change us. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation, the old things have gone, everything is made new. Why is that important? Because Saul was changed, the, the scripture says it clearly, into a different 
person as a result of the power of God on his life. God can do the same in us. And if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you know good and well that's exactly what's happened. God has taken you from where you were, which was old and whatever, and has made you new and wonderful. God did that. God did that. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I cannot encourage that stronger than I am at this moment. Understand the transforming power of God's Spirit in your life. He'll make you a different person. He will equip us all to do what he calls us to do. Third, Saul was hesitant and humble. Hesitant and humble. For Samuel chapter 10, when Samuel had all Israel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by claim, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But they, when they looked for him, this is so funny, he was not found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. Well, he was hesitant. You say, hesitant, what? Put yourself in Saul's position for a minute. Okay, just think about it from that, log- that logical place for just a second. Israel has been governed and led by judges for nearly 400 years. That's the norm. And now Saul is anointed to be the king, the one to lead. I want to tell you something. That had to be an awesome responsibility put upon his shoulders. Yes, I understand. God's going to equip him to do it. Don't you think, you, you just think humanly through this and you say, wait a minute, this is a big job. Can, can I really, can I do this? Can I do this? Marcy and I had the privilege of serving in student ministries for 12 years. And we were very blessed to be able to walk with a whole bunch of students for a lot of years. It was just, it was great. We then moved from student ministries to pastor church in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I can remember the weekend that we were being elected or voted upon to be the pastor of that church. I remember being down by the ocean. The, the church that we pastored was right on the bay. It was, it's Burlingame, and it's right near the San Francisco airports, right on the bay. And we were, down, I was, we were staying down by the bay, so I was walking this little pathway along the bay and thinking about something along these lines. What in the world am I doing? Okay, I know how to do students, but this whole pastoring thing, there was hesitancy about a lot of things. I'm just going to say, I was hesitant. It didn't diminish the call that God had on my life. It just was a reality. We shouldn't be so quick to judge by being hesitant, but we need to put our focus back on the one who called us. God is able to empower us to do what he calls us to do. I'm really grateful for that. We, my, my response was somewhat, I guess you could say, Saulish. It was a little, now, it, it, but God was able to empower me to do what he called me to do. He was not only hesitant, he was also humble. You say, well, how do you, how do you really pick up his humility? You know, the Bible, is, the Bible has a lot of really funny stories and funny occasions, and this is one of them. You can't find Saul. Where is he? He's hiding with the luggage. They brought all this stuff. Where's Saul? He's in amongst the luggage. He doesn't want to be found. You say, well, how do you know? That just, 
How do you know he was humble? Well, a little bit earlier, his uncle had asked him this question. His uncle asked him in chapter 10 and verse number 16, he says, hey, how about, how about the donkeys and what did the prophet Samuel have to say to you? Now, remember, Samuel anointed him as king. You know what Saul said? Didn't tell him anything about the kingship. He, I know that could have been fear. It could have been a lot of things. But I believe there's humility here. It is really interesting. He has lots of physical advantages, but he appears to be a humble, hesitant person. Let me, and I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure I would act that way. And I'm going to be the one out in front of all of this, okay? And I'll just let you follow along as you so desire. Here's the thing. If Samuel had anointed me king, it might have been the first thing I would have said to anyone. And let me illustrate my point. How many of you have ever, ever been to a department store? Ever. Ever. Okay, okay a few of you are just simply not telling me the truth right now. Because I know everybody in the room has. So I'm going to ask you, how many of you, when you are in a department store, are willing to confess that when you walk by a mirror, you look at yourself? Oh, thank you. Thank you. A couple of Here's the reason we do it. We all have a little bit of narcissist in us. We just want to, we walk by the mirror and we go, okay, you know, how do I, you know, that's what we do. And I think what this shows us, it just shows a, humil- a humble side of Saul that often we forget. We, again, there are certain things that have formed our opinions about him, but there's more to the story. And you see, I'll just leave you with this. Humility is a character trait to be valued. To be valued as we lead where God calls us. And you know, it's not a matter of saying, are you humble? Absolutely, I'm humble. Just ask me, I'll tell you. I'm not so sure that's how you define humility. You live humble. You let your actions speak what your heart actually is. Proverbs 15 says, fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Look at this, in humility Precedes honor. Precedes honor. Lastly, this morning, Saul's foolish acts. So you see this from hunting donkeys to being anointed king to his hesitancy and his humility. Now something begins to happen. 1 Samuel 13, verse 13 says, this is Samuel saying, and it's just striking. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. I want to tell you something. That is, a, that is a stinging word. It seems a world away that 1990, 1994. I mean, I just can't believe it's been 25 years. 1994. But in 1994, Forrest Gump was all over the movie screens. And some of the uh, statements that Forrest made have become, I guess you could say, iconic. Uh, one of them, for, for example, is life is like a box of chocolates you never know. Yeah, okay. And then another one is, and maybe more famous, stupid is as stupid does. And this, it's, these are great phrases. They cause us to remember to reflect upon that film. You say, but Gary, why, why do you talk about that? 
Because Samuel starts off by telling Saul, you've done a foolish thing. Foolish here in this particular context, it means the fool is morally and spiritually blameworthy, not lacking intellect. It's not what it is. There is something morally and spiritually awry. And that's what Samuel points out. You've not kept what the Lord said to do. You've done a foolish thing. And I think one of the ways that you could just define it is that the foolishness was that Saul took matters into his own hands. That's kind of where this all started. And so the story, and I, I, we don't have the time to go through all of it, but the point is, is that the first thing that Saul did, he offered a premature sacrifice. The, the armies had gathered, and he was waiting on Samuel to show up, and Samuel doesn't show up, and he gets panicked, and so he offers the sacrifice just as Samuel comes through the door. And then Samuel says, you've done a foolish thing. Why didn't you just, why didn't you wait? Th- then you move on to chapter 14, and then he, he, he puts an oath or has the entire army have an oath, an unwise oath, as a matter of fact, to even to the point where he says, you know, Jonathan, if you're not dead by the evening, you know, what? And the army wouldn't let him do it because you've bound them by an oath that was unwise. The third one is he rationalized his disobedience. And this is where everything begins, it just falls apart. Chapter 15, this is what Samuel said. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Hear this carefully. Listen to this carefully. Do not spare them. Put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, animals, and donkeys. Okay, that's just like everything. Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king. See this? He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, what? Alive. And all his people and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. But I, but then he tells Samuel, but I did obey the Lord. Huh? Saul said, I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. And I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Excuse me? Do you see back and forth rationalization here? He is making his own determinations as what is right and what is wrong. That's called compromise. He he has disobeyed the Lord directly. Make no mistake, Saul is on a very slippery slope right now. You probably recognize a sign like this. You go to a beach. I love the beach. You walk along the cliffs of the beach, and you'll see a sign not unlike this. Keep out, unstable cliff. How many people this past year and how many people in years will just ignore those signs, get closer and closer and closer to the edge until the edge gives way and they fall to their death? There's nothing more literal than that slippery slope, and that's exactly where Saul was. He kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Saul's story is one of getting closer and closer to all-out disobedience. And when he crosses the threshold of disobedience, his kingdom comes to an end. Not only does his kingdom come to an end as promised by Samuel 
In chapter 15 and verse 24, this is a, this is a really good phrase. This is really good. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I, veil, I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. you got to give him credit. He repented. He did it two different times. He repented. But both of those repentance statements, they were short-lived. There was nothing that came out of them of substance. Look at the progression. From that point on, the Spirit of God departs from Saul. Jealousy and anger towards David. He schemed to kill David. He murdered the priest. And then he consults a witch, and then he dies by his own hand of suicide. That is a slippery slope that begins so innocently but ends in disaster. What a tragedy. Psalm 73, Asaph, who wrote a lot of the Psalms, he acknowledges a slippery slope. Look at what Asaph writes. He says, as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. And I almost, and I was almost gone. However, now I added the word however. It's not in the text. That's why the parentheses are there. However, I hold you. <laughs> I hold you, excuse me, you hold my right hand, speaking of God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. I desire you more than anything on earth. God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. How good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. You see, Asaph struggles with the slippery slope, just like all of us struggle with it, but it's what we do next. Do we continue to draw closer? I am afraid that many of us, we get, as, how close can I actually get before there is damage? How close can I get my, my feet over the edge? How close can I get to sin without really compromise? No, how close can I get? That's where we are. And eventually the slope gives way and we find ourselves in peril. Asaph recognizes it's there, but he said, you hold my hand. You're the one that pulls me back. You're the one where my, I have put my trust and my hope. Sad phrase. God sought a man after his heart, and Saul was not that man. That's tragic. And when I think about that, I'm convicted. Because next week, we're going to talk about David, a man after God's heart. And if we were to make the choice this morning, who would we want to be, Saul or David? We would all say, David, of course. Why? Because he was a man after God's heart. We want to be that. Saul could have been. He could have been. But he wasn't. Because of compromise. Because of disobedience. Gene Edwards' classic book, Tale of Three Kings. I want to encourage you, if you've never read it, I encourage you to get it's an older book, but it is an extraordinary book. Very quick read. You probably read it in an hour. I mean, it's that, it's a kind of a story. Gene Edwards, this is what he wrote. He says, Saul is in your bloodstream. Ow. In the marrow of your bones. He makes up the very flesh and muscle of your heart. He is mixed into your soul. He inhabits the nuclei of your atoms. King Saul is one with you. You are King Saul. He breathes in the lungs and beats in the breasts of all of us. There is only one way to get rid of him. He must be annihilated. 
Wow. Wow. That's strong, but just for a second, let me revisit that whole idea of the slippery slope because that's where Saul found himself. He just kept getting closer and closer and closer until he gave way. So, I'll just ask this question. Are you on a slippery slope? Are, are there compromising attitudes or actions that right now at this very moment you know, you know beyond any shadow of a doubt, you're right on the edge. You just, you can, sometimes you just feel it slipping, but you say, I'm strong enough, I can do this. And you see, Saul would have been if he would have relied upon the presence and power of God in his life that had anointed him to be king, that had made him into a different person. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you have the power to move away. I'll just say it in these four quick terms. Stay away. Stop. Back up. And repent. And let repentance go beyond just a short-lived set of words and prayers and let it be substantive where life is changed because of that repentance. Then once we get there, let the presence of God annihilate the spirit of Saul within us and give us the life that God has called us to. Proverbs 16, respect the Lord and you will stay away. You'll, I love this. You'll stay far away from evil. You see, our response should not be how close can I get, but how far away can I be? How can I continue to draw back away from the things where I know compromise are right ahead of me? One more step takes me over the edge. You say, but Gary, I, I'm good, man. I've been following Christ a long time. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm a, great. Praise God. I'm excited for you. So have I. But you know something I've got to recognize when compromise is right at the door, and i got to back up. i got to stay away. i got to stop. And if it is beginning to impact me, it's time to repent. And that's called respect for the Lord. The fear of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 Stay away from everything that's evil. You say, but what about this? What about this? What about this? What about, you know something? I don't have to give you that list. If you're having to ask the question, it probably is. It's probably something you should have no business being a part of whatsoever. You say, but. No, don't say but. Just stay away. Stay away. The last scriptures, Revelation 2. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Can I just tell you? When Saul disobeyed God in 1 Samuel 15, and when he said, I've sinned, if he had humbled himself at that moment and never turned away, oh, could things have been different? I believe they could, and upon the authority of God's word, I say that because David committed adultery, he committed murder, but he said, I am a sinner. I have sinned, forgive me, and God forgave him, and he established his kingdom for all generations. That's the God we serve. So this morning, I just ask this question as we close. You on a slippery slope? 
Is it there? Are you getting ever closer? And if so, this morning I would just encourage you, just start with repentance and let it stick and let God bring healing to our hearts and the forgiveness that he has made available to us in Christ. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning and thank you for the example of Saul. There's some tough things here. Some good things too, the divine appointments, Lord, I pray that we would take them seriously and be prepared. Lord, that we would truly, even in our hesitancy, understand how you are able to overcome our hesitancy as you call us to do, to be, to do, that you're able to empower us. Lord, let humility be what characterizes our life. So Lord, let that be our call this morning. Thank you.